Well, this evening we continue in our series, The Fruit of the Spirit, and so we're back in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, you will find that in page 1,132 of your pew Bibles. Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to start at verse 16, and we'll read uh, to verse 25. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness and orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This is God's word. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Oh, Father, we are thankful that we can read your word together as your people. Lay it before our hearts. And tonight that we might look at that particular fruit of the Spirit, goodness. Help us to discern the various passages we will be studying tonight so that they would not only be known in our minds, but that they would be applied to our lives. Help us in that, O Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Defining good. It's an important thing for us to do. What is good? Now, many people say, I'm a good person. But what do they mean by that? What do you mean by good? There must be some objective measure by which you can say, I'm a good person. Now, how many times have you heard that? I'm a good person. Maybe you think yourself to be a good person. But by what measure can you determine whether you're good? I think this is very important in a culture of relativistic truth, which means no truth, we have what I would call shifting measures of what goodness is. It's always changing in accordance with my own will. Not something outside of me, but rather something within me, and possibly as well with the influence of culture determining what is good 
and what is not. But as we gather, as, as the saints that God has redeemed in his blood, we, we want to know what God has to say about goodness. I really do not care about the culture's definition of goodness. It's not very impressive, is it? You just turn on that, that tube. Swipe open your phone. There's really not much goodness. And that's why we go to God. God himself is good. And I think it's important for us to define goodness from Scripture. And we'll be doing that today, looking at the goodness of God, the goodness of God in us. But defining it, good old lexicons, a fancy word for a Bible dictionary from Scripture in the original language. Well, this idea of goodness is, as, is a quality of moral excellence, a quality of moral excellence, being good, or we have the word here, goodness, or upright. It's also as a quality of relationship with others, willingness to give or share or generosity or goodness. So you can see in that way, it's, it's, it's generous. Goodness is something that's generous. It's a positive, moral quality characterized, characterized especially by interest in the welfare of others. That's very important. A positive moral quality characterized, characterized especially by the interest and welfare of others. And so it is nothing like our current moment of me and my truth and my goodness. It's really seeing the goodness of others around us and their welfare. Timothy Keller gives a bit of a nuance to this word of goodness in Scripture and adds, I would say, a, a bit of application when he reflects on this text from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Goodness, he says, is being the same person in every situation rather than a phony or a hypocrite. It's fascinating. I'll read it again. Goodness is being the same person in every situation rather than a phony or a hypocrite. This is not the same as being always thankful or truthful, but not always loving, getting things off your chest just to make yourself feel or look better. Again, what we see here very clearly, goodness thinks about others, but never makes a show of it, does it? It's not looking for an audience. It's doing good because I believe God is good. And so, actually, goodness in the life of the believer is always trying to make much of God's goodness, isn't he? Isn't it? It's to give God glory. And in doing so, we enjoy God forever, because that's the chief end of men. I talked about that with um, some of the profession of faith young people. But let's look at the goodness of God, the goodness of God. We have the lexical definitions, but let's look at the goodness of God. In fact, don't we need to go to the very beginning of the book, the wondrous good book, as it's called? Isn't that wonderful that the Bible's called the good book? That's what people used to call it, the good book, the good book. There's actually a book company that produces Christian publications. It's called the Good Book Company. 
all of their resources are for the edification of the saints to know the word of God, to search and mine the word of God and its treasures, to, of course, experience the goodness of God. But again, we're going back to the beginning of God's story. And when God created the universe, those wonderful six days, what did he say at the end of each day? What did he say about what he made? Good, 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 good. Oh, wait, you got to remember the last day, right at the very end, in verse 31, and it was very good. Seven times, it's a perfect number in Hebrew. Tov, 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 miod. Very good. That's how God ends the sixth day. It was very good. In fact, when the creation came into being, it came into being because God spoke it into being. His word is what? Is good. His word creates. It makes out of nothing, ex nihilo, right? As Augustine coined, it makes what we see around us. And God said it's good. It's very good. I think it's important for us to see the creation is very good that God has made because he has declared it so, because it emanates out of who he is. He is the good. God is the good. And isn't he a giver? Isn't he generous? Oh, my. God is so generous. In fact, we wouldn't even know what anything was without God, well, speaking his goodness into being. I love that. God speaking his goodness into being. And even in the fall, even in our sinful state, don't we enjoy so many things of this created order? And again, taste and again and again that God is good. Taste and see that God is good. We see this in not only his word, but we see it in the creation. And God declared it so, that it was very good. There's also, well, the goodness of God as our shepherd. Now, we're coming to the special revelation. We see the general revelation that's declared in the special revelation of God in Genesis chapter 1, but we, again, remember the psalm, Psalm 23, that I began the worship service where, with the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Why, why is that so? Because he's good, isn't he? What, what was David saying? He always supplied my need. He always refreshed my soul. Even when I was in the wilderness running for my life, where was God? Right there. And in that valley, the shadow of death, where was God? Well, his rod and staff were there, shepherding me. God's always be good. And in fact, what did God do in David's life? He prepared a table before him in the presence of his enemies, didn't he? Because in the end, did not David have triumph over his enemies? Even over Saul? and all the enemies around him. And he anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God is so good, isn't he? That's what David's saying. Can't you see his goodness? Don't you want to be near him? Don't you want to be in his temple? He who made all things. He who has redeemed Israel, he who has redeemed me from the pit, don't you want to be with him forever? Because he's so good. He's so good. David could say, and I'm not. 
but God is. That's why this fruit is so wonderful, isn't it? God is a giving God. Shepherding his people. And the goodness of God shepherding went, how far did he take the shepherding metaphor? Well, he said his son, the good shepherd, who lays down his life for the sheep. And is that for good sheep? How many of you are stubborn sheep? A little stiff-necked? That's the point. You needed the good shepherd to lay down his life for the, for the sheep and to take it up again in order that you and I might have the good life that is in the one who is the good, God himself. Because Jesus, as the good shepherd, was showing that in the Old Testament, that metaphor of the good shepherd of the shepherd was in him because he too was God. He's God the Son, along with God the Father and the God the Holy Spirit, the triune God, shepherding his people in the Old Covenant, shepherding his people in the New Covenant, in his blood. His goodness goes so far that, the, that our shepherd lays down his life for us. And how good it's, he lays down his life for sinners, for his enemies. You just meditate on that for all eternity. And you'll be saying, good, 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 good. How good is God that he would die for a sinner like me? What a good shepherd we have. Is he still not shepherding us? He's, is he not shepherding us, the good shepherd? How is he doing that? By the power of the indwelling spirit, right? The, the paraclete? The counselor, the strengthener. And he too is a paraclete, isn't he? He too is interceding, isn't he, in heaven. He too is advocating for us, still shepherding us. Of course, there's also the goodness of God in providence, and probably there is no more powerful story in all of Scripture about God's goodness than the exile, the selling into slavery of Joseph. All those years in exile, all those years in a prison, all those years away from home. And when Jacob had died and his brothers were concerned that, my goodness, the second most powerful man in the entire world, he could dispatch us. I mean, they're worried for their own skin, aren't they? And this is what Joseph says. You know it. You intended it for harm harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. A lot of lives, isn't it? Because well over a million would come out of the exile, wouldn't they come out of Egypt? God intended it for good. How comforting is that? That even in the mess of our lives, if we follow, if we're following Christ, he can work, he's working that out for our good, isn't he? All the griefs, all the sorrows, all the failures, working it out for good. How good is that? That even in the mess of our lives, he can work this, he can work it out for good as he did in the life of Joseph. And of course, the psalmist sings, 
I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me, speaking about the goodness of deliverance. And of course, it's the goodness of God and the perseverance of the saints. Remember how the apostle, the apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi in verse 6, chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you. Did you hear the work? A good work. If you've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been born again, right? That's a good work in you. A good work in you. And that's what Paul says here. Oh my, that's a good work in you. We'll carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you hear that promise? For those who are born again, the, the good work of recreation has occurred? Oh, he'll carry it out unto completion until the day. Well, you know what the day of Christ Jesus is. That's the day of resurrection. That's the day where the new heavens and the new earth, they'll come together. That's the day of, well, goodness, isn't it? That's the day of the grand feast. That's the day in which we see our Lord and Savior with the nail-pierced hands with full bodies that will never die and a soul united. Singing salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. God is good, isn't he? And that goodness of God is in us, isn't it? The goodness of God is in us. As we've been speaking, if you have been born again, you've got the goodness of God in you. His presence is in you, and he is the good. And the good is within you. And what do you know about yourself? What do you know from the book of... Now, we're going back to the first chapter. You and I are created in whose image? The image of God, right? Male and female, he created them. Now, images in the ancient world were to reflect the glory of the one they imaged. That's why even statues to pharaohs would be erected in places in order to image his authority over the lands. And you and I are living images, aren't we, of the living God who are called to represent a male and female to image him. To image what? The good. To image his generosity. To image his goodness in, well, in creation, his goodness in salvation, his goodness in all things. And that's why it's so evil to destroy God's goodness. What a curse upon our land that we have a whole industry that lusts to destroy people who are image bearers. Good. Created for good. And so that should grieve us as we look out into the world. But what should make our hearts be celebrated is that recreated for good. What we know about the fall is that goodness that we have originally was scarred by a rebellion with Adam and Eve and the original sin. Of course, we are inheritors of that. But in the recreation, through the rebirth, we were recreated for good. Listen to how Paul speaks of that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And he, he talks about that you have been saved by, you know, by grace, through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that none of you, none of us can boast. And then he says, 
something very important in verse 10 that is often not part of the memory work. He says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Isn't that glorious? That's right. You and I were born again of the Spirit of God to do good works, which God said, oh, by the way, I prepared that in advance for you to do. So as a community, the church is a community of goodness, a community of generosity, of a community that declares the good, declares the wondrous good of our glorious God who we see in the face of Jesus Christ. And when the early church began, there was goodness, wasn't there? There was a light. There was a, a fervor in the streets of Jerusalem. In fact, everybody was taking up and, and taking notice. And many people, through their example, were coming to faith. You remember what Luke wrote in Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You can see right there, the goodness of God was upon them, wasn't it? The Spirit had broken out. And there's wondrous generosity, isn't there? Isn't there? For each other. But that goodness is also the wondrous joy that they have in Jesus, the Lamb who was slain. In fact, it became a witness, didn't it? People were paying attention. Many actually were coming to faith because of the, well, the glorious goodness of this new community. And so what we see, not only 3,000 come to faith in Pentecost, but there's another 5,000, and priests were being added to their number every single day. I would have loved to be there. What a glorious vision of the goodness that the church is called to be. Now, of course, this is a, a unique moment in the history of the church, but don't we have their same goodness? Do we not have the early church's same goodness? Because it's not a goodness because we're good. It's a goodness in us. The goodness of God in us. Oh, how we need a fresh wind of God's Spirit, a reviving Spirit, to, to gra grasp the wondrous picture of God's goodness in community, in the church. Oh, Father, rebuke us and correct us and train us up in righteousness. Now, I have a question. Who should do good? Well, I think you probably think this is obvious, but I'm going to begin with number one. Um, who should I do good to? And I actually mentioned, do good to your pastors. I know that sounds pretty self-serving, but it's in the context. That's why I put it there. It's in the context of Galatians chapter 5 and Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with its instructor. And this is talking about the generous portion, right? Generosity portion of goodness. And so, 
Fred serves here. And my hope is that maybe some of you would actually thank God and encourage Pastor Fred in maybe writing him notes. You're probably ready to do that. To thank God for his work in him and how he provides goodness to us as a community. I mean, that's one practical way how we can do good to Pastor Fred, to our pastors, to our elders, to our deacons, and some of you are doing that. But that's a practical way. Obviously, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Therefore, we have opportunity. Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So we are definitely called to do good to each other. That's pretty clear, isn't it? And everyone else. That's a good picture. We're a good community, aren't we? We're to extend good in how we live and how we give in our community. And I want to go briefly to what should I do? What should I do? And there's a few points. I'm going to read Romans chapter 12 and go on this list. It's probably in your notes. It's probably in your notes. What good should I do? And I believe Romans chapter 12, if you have your Bibles open, that's a text. I didn't provide it in the notes because it was a big section, but I wanted to read that as we conclude our time this evening around God's good word. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, I love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, per- persecute you and bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but... Be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil, anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I think you can see why I picked it. It begins with good and it ends with good. This section is how the church can live the good life, the godly good life. And we see from the very beginning, love, that you and I need to have love for each other. Love for the brothers. I, I love Sunday. It's, it's, it's the best, uh, I think, day of the week because we can fellowship together. But it's very clear, we need to have love. It must be sincere as well, not this phony kind of love, but the same love you have in your house and outside of your house for God's people. That's what's on display here. And of course, if you, love, if you have a love for your brothers, we know that we're supposed to be devoted to the brothers. And that devotion of the church in the West has definitely waned. People seek religion as they seek commodities or as they seek going out to dinner, services. But the fact is, the Christian community is one where people devote themselves to each other because they're devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the good picture, isn't it? 
Because church is not something to be commodified. It's a community of believers that are seeking to be devoted to each other. And don't we need more devotion in this divorce culture where everybody breaks relationship if, if I don't like you or if you've made me upset, my goodness, I'm going to cancel you. I'll defriend you. You're no longer going to be a friend. Oh, no, in the Christian community, we need to be devoted to each other. We need to be devoted to each other. And, of course, we need to be rejoicing with each other. We've done that this, tonight, didn't we? The thanksgivings we were giving. But we need to do that more. The more we would rejoice with each other in our joys, wouldn't that increase everyone else's joy as God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would build us up? But there's also this mourning with the brothers. You see that very clearly? I don't know what's going on in the Church of Rome, but maybe they were having a hard time being a community, being the good Godward church. But he says, mourn with those who mourn, doesn't he? And I've seen that beautifully here at Second this week as Hank mourns the death of Karen and how so many people in this congregation have reached out to them in their time of, in his time of sadness and his family's sadness. So I see a, I see a wonderful picture of the good being worked out among us. May it only increase, may it only abound, may our cup of to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice overflow. Now, and what is very clear here, as you look at the context of it, is that we are to humbly serve all the brothers. If you have been bought in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and been extended the good work of his spirit in you, then you have been created to serve. Imagine if every member of the body of Christ fully gave themselves to serve the body of Christ for the glory of God. Everyone saw themselves as a servant, like Jesus, right? He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's the model, isn't he? And I would say, wouldn't you agree that Jesus is the one that lived truly a good life? The most glorious good life that has ever been lived. And his example is one of service. And it's clear the Apostle Paul is marrying that life, that good life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Of course, there's this, uh, this, this generous with the brothers. It is clear that we are to share with those in need and to associate with those of low position. Because didn't Jesus do that? He who was rich became poor, didn't he? And he gave himself that we might become rich. And of course, we are to live at peace with all people. And the last part is we are to bless our enemies. I think that's the most extraordinary part of the text, that you and I are to bless our enemies. And how are we to overcome evil? Because we talk a lot about evil and how horrible the world is currently. How is the church of Jesus Christ to overcome evil? With good. With good. May we be known for that as a church, as saints, overcoming evil with good, the good that comes from on high, 
God and his wondrous gospel. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we're thankful for your word. We are thankful that you, we have this fruit in us. And we ask that you would manifest this fruit of goodness in me, in us, in your church, not only here, but throughout the nations, so that we might be more winsome witnesses of Jesus in the world. Help us, O Holy Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.